0: Hey there, we're the Westlop Pirates, and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports, with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above, as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter.
1: I'm John Lacombe,
0: and we are Eric Scowspo. Oh boy, really? I lost. Uh, I lost a bet. Sorry. Oh jeez. Okay. Um, yeah. So you know, uh, another loss. This one much closer, but you know clearly a monsoon game uh, changes a lot of things uh, and kind of a lot of what we were worried about going in. It's hard to, it's hard to really gather too much about, you know, the play on the field when it's just a swamp and, and everything is a mess, but there are still takeaways we can uh, take away from this uh, 17 to seven loss to Penn state. Yeah, um, I but
2: like well, and first and foremost, like we got to give some credit where credit's due, right? Like this absolutely. team looked like this team looked real bad for the last two and a half weeks, and they came out and put together a really gritty performance against a really talented foe on the, ro- on the road and in the rain. I mean, they showed they showed a lot of metal in this game, and I think. Um, frankly players and coaches alike and we've been pretty crit- critical of the coaches i think we're going to continue to be so but um they deserve some um some plaudits for the way they showed up in this game um i won't lie like in some in some ways made me even angrier about the prior two weeks because we know this team has more than they showed us in those last two home games um but still like credit where credits due like on saturday they they put together a, a solid effort
1: yeah i mean there, the weather piece of it is such a titanic factor. Um, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, again, on, under blue skies, this one may go a lot worse. And that's one of the things we were joking is like, don't gamble, kids. Because like, <laughs> <laughs> this, was, this was a 25 to 26 point, 26 and a half point line, depending on where you looked and Mother Nature threw that right out the window. Um, and ultimately... So many of the things in the weather. I mean, people are going to focus on our absolutely atrocious rushing line. I think at the measure of the day, and again, the score kind of supports it, though. I think between the weather and a mix of luck and some other stuff that we'll get into, just a lot of breaks went our way. I mean, this is a game that had eight turnovers. And as a point of reference, like we made a couple great tackles that were instrumental in forming enforcing a couple of those turnovers. But there were eight total turnovers in this game. Penn State running backs, three running backs, fumbled a total of four times. None of those guys had lost the fumble coming into this game, whereas we've been one of the more snake bit teams on skill position turnovers so far this season. None of our skill position players had a turnover. I mean, Ryan Halinski's in the pocket, which wasn't even really weather-related. If you simulate this game a bunch of times, like the turnover like distribution is going to go against us a lot more than it went in this game. But it just to say it was a crazy kind of game. I think to Scuzz's point and and taking positives out of this, one of the most refreshing things I took out of this game is a lot of dumb shit happened in this game. And almost all of it was done by either Penn state or ESPN. So it was (laughs) nice to see (laughs) Northwestern kind of on the outside looking in at so much of this idiocy. I mean, the, the I feel like the ESPN piece, we're probably just going to like sprinkle in our pissed offness at various points, you know, relative to different things that they did. Um, the uh, Really, I'm so glad, let me just say, I'm so glad ESPN really cornered that Northeast New England market that is at the heart of the Big Ten by showing Aaron Judge Rutgers highlights and UConn highlights throughout the game. Just, just I'm really, really like setting it up for the core audience with that. Um, but, and, and of course, I you mean,
0: know. To, to be fair, the Aaron judge piece was like all weekend long. So oh, it wasn't God. just,
1: I, I was pissed
2: at, I was pissed about Aaron judge cut-ins last week during, yeah. during Clemson NC state. Cause they're just stupid.
1: And for me, it was something I'd heard about so much. And I was like, I I've heard about this so much. It sounds so bad. I'm going to experience it. And we all experienced it in the moment. As bad as the dual screen was, the fact that they were using the audio from the baseball and that we were all watching. I mean, hell, I have a big TV and I'm still trying to focus in on a split screen, realizing I think we just forced a fumble, but there's no sound and it's only on half the... I mean, we were all losing our mind and we'll, we'll get to some of the other stuff. But Penn State was, was the real head scratcher. Because, I mean, we we talked at length about their two big, this two-headed running back that they have at monster, uh, two-headed monster they have at running back, and at the end of the day, those guys combined for one hundred and seventy-three yards. Um, but the road to getting to that was such a crazy road, and I think. The, the thing that was so dumb, and football is just dumb sometimes, and, and there's just dumb pieces of it. And one is, th- like, okay, taking out a back who's got fumbleitis. I get. It was so obvious from the start of this game that the football was coated in bacon grease. Northwestern was having trouble even executing center-to-quarterback snaps. Um, that caused led to one fumble that we lost, and another fumble that Ryan Holinsky got absolutely clocked on the recovery of. It was just a mess. And in the midst of all this, Nick Singleton, who was off to a good start to his day, just the ball kind of flew out of his hands. Like, it's just the grease pig got away from him. So then they punish him, quote unquote, benching him. And then eventually he comes back in. But it's exacerbated by the fact that we're realizing in real time that Katron Allen, he did something. They won't say what it was. The, coach, the Penn State coaches wouldn't say what it was after the game, but he was sat for the first half of this game. So he's not coming in. And then they've decided to punish Singleton for this fumble that, again, was not his fault. It was absolute swamp weather out there. So meanwhile, they're putting in a guy who, because he basically didn't play in the Central Michigan game, and in some ways, he's kind of their fourth-string running back. So they're plodding along in this horrible weather with their fourth-string running back for a lot of the first half. Then Singleton comes back in. I actually went back and tracked it. Let me see if I can pull it up here because it was so hilarious. So Singleton comes back in and he there's a period of time where he comes in. He rushes for four yards, then for seven yards, then for 11 yards, then two yards for a touchdown, then five yards, then 19 yards, and then fumbles a second time. He had been their entire offense for the entire preceding quarter, but then Rod Hurd makes an unbelievable tackle and an unbelievable hit in slick weather, and then they cut to James Franklin, who's doing that like derp, you got to be tougher, derp, and you realize, oh my God, they're going to pull their best player for the entire rest of this game, and that's exactly what they did. And then Allen came in in the second half, and then he fumbles, and the other running back fumbles, and the dumbest thing of all is they eventually put Singleton back in because like, by the musical chairs of fumbles, now he gets to go again at the end of the game. But the whole reality was Penn State was just a total mess with what they were doing with their running backs, and the weather was crappy, and they still ground out 220 rush yards, but again... These were not Northwestern problems. And if anything, Northwestern was exacerbating Penn state's issues by making good tackles. And I think that's one of the themes that we want to get into.
2: Great tackles. Yeah. Helmets on balls. Um, Punching balls out. I mean, like we, we, I said last week, like we've seen conference play enough. We've seen how the physicality changes, like whether or not um, this was a, different level of effort and performance from the entire team, um, in a conference game. And so like, yeah, like, yeah, it could have been worse in, in a situation where you, you know, you're dealing with Nick Singleton cutbacks and, uh, double moves and things that are a lot harder to do in, in rain weather. But, um, again, credit where credit is due. I mean, these guys stepped up after two pretty rough weeks, um, improved their tackling improved their physicality uh, improved their their ball awareness and um, playmaking and like that's that's massive that's exactly what you want from this defense and it does not absolve some of the um, strategic problems it doesn't not absolve some of the um, issues with uh, you know that we've seen over the last year and a half but um, I think it portends some I, don't know, I think we have a sense of what we're going to see the next four or five weeks from Northwestern's defense, and there's a there's a path to at least competence there,
0: and especially with as big of a mess as the uh, the West is in the Big Ten, um, you, you know, we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit, but um, you know, want want to just kind of go back to to the defense here, and you know, how much of you know the the game plan was predicated on the weather and how much of it was we're actually opening up the playbook
1: well so i think the big thing about the defense is <clears throat> the and and i so there are two things and the first thing to lead with is uh, i think the good piece of it and that's the part that scuzz was just focusing in on when you factor in the fact that we now know, right, that this has officially come out, I think, just in the last day or two that Coco Asma is done for the year. Yeah, um, that's
0: which is just, a brutal. just a heartbreaker. A, a, brutal. a huge
1: a huge loss at safety, um, obviously. The lineup we played the vast majority of this Penn State game in, considering that, is almost amazingly one of the better lineups we could put on the field, even if we reround all the way to the start of the season. And it's not a lineup that works against every team. To your point about weather, Sammy, it certainly is a lineup that works in a in weather where the other team's not throwing. But the 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 lineup that we had out there was the the standard lineups, the standard running backs, linebackers you're used to, Bryce Gallagher, Xander Mueller, but Grayson Metz playing the star, or in this case, effectively just as a third linebacker, with Rod Hurd back at safety. That is the best for everybody. Rod Hurd, the best possible use of Rod Hurd is as a safety in a run-heavy defense. Rod Hurd's at safety against a team you know wants to run. The best things the tandem of Rod Hurd and Jeremiah Lewis do is get upfield and hit. They were phenomenal at it in this game. Hurd had um, that—I mean, Hurd's—that play— that's an all-Big Ten level play. I don't know how to describe it any better than that. In dry weather, who knows if it's a fumble? Who cares? It was a perfect play. He reads the play, comes all the way from flat-footed, back deep in the secondary in the safety, fills the hole, gets his head on the ball, and blows his man up. And the best part is... All four of the secondary starters had a play exactly like that in this game. Lewis had almost the exact same situation on a third down run where he blew up a running back, came up, filled in the hole. Garnett Hollis, he's young, but going back to the whole thing about uh, teams that want to run the ball, Garnett Hollis is enormous and loves to hit. He had a play where he blew up the running back and forced a fumble. Got his helmet on the ball. Same thing. Came up, made a hit like a linebacker. And then, of course, Cam Mitchell, I think, was our leading solo tackler on the day and was just, to your point, Sam, about scheme, Cam Mitchell was given free reign and kind of let loose in the way that, this to this point in the season, we've only seen Coco get, get that kind of freedom and be utilized in that kind of way. And they turned Cam loose in this game. He was in the backfield on a couple of plays and made a couple big time plays. So the four secondary guys um, just were really given that freedom. And I think the flip side of all of this is you're praying in a situation like this, that a team is not able to locate and is not have a willingness to throw the ball a ton. And that's a big if, but who cares? Like we've got Wisconsin and and, uh, Iowa coming down the pipe. And in this game, it was God awful weather. So it's what you want. And you can't ask for anything more. And factoring in the fact that um, Gallagher and Mueller had great days tackling, what more can you want? Especially in wet weather, you want all your guys to come up and make tackles and make hits. No one blew tackles. Everyone did their job. Like You can't ask for more from from your back seven.
0: Can we also shout out uh, Jordan Butler and Jason Gold, who got on the field for the first time in a really, really long time?
1: Really great to see them out there. That was great. And I think there's the, there's the piece, and, and Sammy, this is something you and I know, right, that we've been watching for weeks Jordan Gold, you know, running out of the tunnel, being one of the last guys to run out of the tunnel, going over to the trainer table, getting taped up. You can just see how day-to-day he is and how it's been that way for a long time. And obviously we know because we haven't seen Gold in like a year and a half, right? The Gold's been in the exact same boat these guys to an extent are being pressed into service. They know as well as anybody that this is a massive position of need and we need bodies and we need guys out there. And it's, it's rough. I mean, I'm sure they'd all like to be healthier. It's been a rough road for them, but you're absolutely right. The effort these guys have put in to get back on the field and get back out there and contribute to this team. Like what more can you say? Right? It's been such a hard road for these guys and they're, they're absolutely earning it. Um, so in in a larger sense, we continue to have the exact same problems on the defensive line that we've had from the very beginning of the season. It's our Achilles' heel. It's what's hamstringing this defense. It's why, again, with all of the mess that Penn State was dealing with in terms of their own inner internal politics mixed with a you know absolute monsoon, they still put up two hundred and twenty rush yards. It's that's why. It's just your trying to minimize the damage. And again, we have no way of knowing under blue skies where Nick Singleton's not fumbling and can cut back like he wants to. Like This is why we're the number 13 run defense in the Big Ten. But you come out of this game feeling like, okay, if we're going to play that back seven personnel and those guys are going to tackle the way they tackled today, that gives us hope and, and gives us something to work with. So yeah, I came out of this game feeling better about the defense. Not great, but better.
2: Yeah, I, it's, it's hard for me to juxtapose what was definitely a better performance with what we talked about last week and some of the just, like, real schematic deficiencies of O'Neal, um, to put a name on it, you know, of the last year and a half. And I think, like, I'm happy to see that we we did something. We shifted things up. We've, we've you know, apparently laid out uh, an approach that, you know, should be Mostly effective against what I mean, three of the five remaining West opponents. Um, but I, like it, it's it still belies kind of this. Um, I think I think a lot of people, a lot of a lot of listeners, a lot of people on Twitter and you fans all over the place, right? They want like, is it because we don't have the players or because our we made like an absolutely horrible de- defensive coordinator? higher and i think like it's a little bit of both um on the player side you've got injuries that have decimated the d-line john's been talking about that since the middle of the summer or maybe even last year yeah <laughs> if I you want to go back going on for a um, while you know i think we have some concerns around speed but like it's it, it's and, and not not you know if 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 all of a sudden like manny diaz showed up at northwestern or nick saban showed it up at northwestern like we wouldn't have a top five defense in the country but I'd like to think that that tackling problems and the right lineup problems and some of these things we wouldn't have to wait until week five against Penn State to see some adjustments and you'd also like to see you know the development and the growth uh, early on the year or like or like you know some creativity coming into the season knowing you're going to have to get three or four of your first four games, uh, to be in contention for, for postseason. So I like, I just, I want to, cause we were, we were all in a real rough spot last week and we went appropriately deep in on the coaches and deficiencies. And I like, I don't want us to sound like we're no, cause, cause we're not, we're not well, doing a one eighty here, but well, I just, help. I just, you know,
1: well, t- two things. First of all, to your little column, a little bit of column, a little bit of column B point, It's hard not to watch Manny Diaz's defense, which for lack of a better term, we'll just call sexy, that there's just a ton of stuff going on, right? Like he's just doing a ton of stuff, especially in passing situations. And then to your column B point, Northwestern's five leading tacklers were two linebackers and three defensive backs. Penn State's leading tackler was a defensive tackle. Who, who's going to be a first-round NFL draft pick? P.J. Mustafer. And it's like that's that's the starting place right there to a theme that we're going to get into more down the road too. Uh, the other thing too, and we've talked about this in recent weeks, we're going to get into it more on the pod, but this whole events elsewhere in the conference um, things and, and to the point of the things we've drummed home over the past couple of weeks, one of the reasons this burns is over the past two years – while we've been, relatively speaking, flailing on defense, another team in this state made a hire that, starting from a position of relative weakness compared to us, has built the number one defense in the conference, and oh, in the country. And so that's exacerbating it too. And again, I, the one other thing I wanted to mention too is, again, to the point of everything we talked about and all the great tackling and and the the fact that even with all the weather and all everything, they still had 220 yards. One thing about last season was we got the Nebraska game relatively early on. So we saw exactly what the basement looked like. And to this point, relative to the run defense, you still even now have this feeling that it's like somewhere out there. And I think I'd circle Maryland in red pen many times is the team that is going to absolutely eviscerate us. Um, But that team may not be Wisconsin. So, again, it's like right. There's a lot of column A, a lot of column B, but again, on a day when the back seven tackles as well as they did in this game, it forces a couple of fumbles, you know. There's 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 plenty of good stuff to focus on.
2: The other side of the ball on the other
0: hand, I was I was just yeah. about to
1: say let's let's t- let's flip the flip the page and talk about the
0: offense. Um you know, on on a super wet, super sloppy day, you really want to lean on your running game. And our running game was virtually non-existent. I mean, Helensky didn't have a good good game either uh, up until like the, the last drive that ended on the one. You know, he was a little bit better that drive, but, you know, he was struggling all day with the with the weather and, you know, with accuracy issues. But, I mean, to only have 31 yards of rushing,
1: 29 29? on yeah. one carry... <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, yep. yeah it's 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 not great bob um at the same time we like we know penn state's defense is really good yes. we also know that there's a couple of defenses in the west that we're gonna face that are really really good so like like we're gonna we have to figure out what to do i my to my eye um and i didn't i didn't to my eye it felt like there were opportunities in the past game that were maybe missed um felt like there was a lot of checking down going on. I mean, so, some of that, certainly weather, right? Like we talked about how aggressive the offense was in those first two weeks of the year and how that paid dividends. Um they were explicitly not aggressive in weeks three and four, and then maybe somewhere in between here, give give given the weather. But like a couple of nice deep outs, you've got the you've got the the long pass to John Gill, um a I forget how I forget how I want to say it was like a third and thirteen, like just like a beautiful deep out to uh, to Washington to convert a, a key third down. I think that was on the play where eventually stalled out or the drive. We stalled out on the one yard line. Like there, there are some moments, and that the struggle remains stitching them all together, not killing ourselves with either cute plays or mistakes or penalties. Um, and I just I cannot get over this sense that for two years now. And honestly, maybe, you know, it dips a little bit into 2020 as well, but like, but Jake has, has not been able to produce a consistent offense. It just, it, it, it sputters too often.
1: I agree. And on one hand, you know, there is the weather piece of it and there's the, there's the yin and yang because Penn state, I mean, again, this is that real talk express. Penn state rushed for 220 yards in this game in good weather, they probably rush for 300 yards. And on the other hand, instead of us rushing for 31, we probably rush for closer to 100 yards. So it's it's kind of a net even out. I mean, again, we really probably get gashed even more on the ground, and we do a little bit better. But this side of the ball is the place where there's really nowhere to start than, like, look, Penn State was just better than us uh, on this side of the ball. I mean, let's call a space spade. Like, that's just what it was. And I think they're... You saw that particularly with the running game, also from the fact that, again, like, in the moment, we very much—that touchdown that could have been a touchdown, could not have been a touchdown—was incredibly maddening in the moment. I mean, we were flipping out. This is the biggest ESPN piece, right, that we saw— Every pitch of that Aaron Judge at bat with full audio and a split screen experience, but literally the most important moment of this game was litigated in its entirety in a commercial break. Coming out of the commercial break, we were for a split second shown a photo of Ryan Halinski that seemed to indicate the ball might have been right at the goal line. And then they just moved on like nothing happened. And <laughs> on, on one hand, there is the piece that... Okay. There's the rule. Like if we open the rule book, there is the rule that if you're lying on top of your own man, you're technically dead. That's what it says in the rule book. In the real world, the first thing that happened on this play is literally half the Penn State guys jumped on top of the pile. And then this giant like animal of collective humanity just bucked around And then collapsed on itself. That's what happens on every goal line play. And then you just sort it out afterwards. And what it seemed to show is that it was basically a coin flip. Whether or not he was down before he got into the end zone on that. And look, I'm not saying, in the smaller sense, I'm not saying that this was necessarily a touchdown. Just that, I mean, what a shitshow of a broadcast that this is not focused on for an extended period of time.
0: And what's wild is this was ESPN Prime. Right, like this is the the flagship ESPN. It's not like we were on ESPN Plus or you know Fox Sports Two or something like that.
1: And in between their audio equipment not working and their Benny Hill style replays that appeared to be like a flipbook of like ten flashcards, where you'd see like every five yards of the play in still form, it was just a mess. But the larger point, right, is okay. So let's say we score that touchdown. We got 14 points on two drives. We barely crossed the 50 the rest of the game against yep. them. We never got close. And so it's it's that piece of it. I think the running game, look, it is what it is. And we, I think we're all seeing we're going to have a really hard time running the ball. One of Relative to the running game, one of the things that, that's getting me the most, and this is something that I think a lot of people are specifically focusing on this week, is Um, the direct snaps, the Wildcat formation, because it has just been an absolute disaster over the past couple of weeks. Poor Cam Porter, who, I mean, we don't know, but, and maybe I'm just scarred by a couple years of the Isaiah Bowser experience where that poor guy was on a bum wheel, and we were just throwing him into the line, but it just doesn't seem to me like Porter is at 100%, and if you're just giving him an offensive set that is doing nothing more than effectively asking him to move the pile, I don't know what you're going to expect to get out of that. And it's funny. We saw a fair amount of Anthony Tyus in this game, especially early on. It almost seems like they were dipping their toes and in integrating him into the Wildcat package. And I'm almost like, counterpoint, here's another idea. What if we just don't do that package? What well, if we just I, not the regular offense?
2: That's not dipping your toes. I mean, he ran yeah. plenty of it last year and it didn't go right. well. I just, I hate... I hate that that package has no, there's no counter, right? There's, there's it's, it, it is, it is singular in this, in this way, it is very similar to some of our biggest issues we have with McCall where he would run these, you know, these, these situation or, or gadget things that, that just like, there was no counter. It's just kind of like a weird thing in the middle of, of uh, whatever the broader scheme and plan was. And if you're never like, if you're never running jet sweep action or you're never, um, I mean, like, you know, we don't want cam Porter to be throwing out of that formation a lot, but like if you never do anything, but, but just run with the wildcat guy. um, Yes. There are multiple gaps, but guess what? There's 11 players that can fill those gaps
1: to your, to your point. (laughs) Literally. You said there's no counter to illustrate your point. Perfectly. We ran a counter. Out of this play (laughs) once in this game. So what you have to imagine here is when there's no quote unquote counter and you pull linemen when the entire 11 man defense knows it's just going to be a run anyway. All you're doing is creating gaps. Guys can shoot, and poor Cam got absolutely destroyed on yeah. that play. It's just yeah. a non-working piece of the offense. At least,
2: offense. at least do a little like a little like tea party in the back in the in in the backfield. Um, I forget which team it was. Wake Forest. Watching Wake Forest run the ball against um, Clemson. Now, granted, Wake Forest has like a senior QB, Sam Hartman, is really good, et cetera. But like the way that he would run the ball is like the quarterback and the running back would come together in the backfield and almost like walk upfield like two or three steps into the middle of the pocket before either the running back would take it and run forward or uh, the quarterback would, would uh, pull up and throw. Um, and I'm not suggesting we do that, but like if you're going to do something to mix it up, you, you have to, you have to use some sort of misdirection or some sort of so- something that causes the defense to, to pause or question or think because if all you're doing is saying hey we're gonna run the ball guess which gap and you're just inviting them to fill all the gaps it doesn't it, it doesn't do anything
1: right and it's funny because like the Evan hall 29yard run was so similar to a run from the Nebraska game that it was almost like this thing where it was like a patch but like yeah there's that dynamic rushing attack or it's like um I think in a larger sense I mean just Again, just real talk, most of the defenses we're playing down the stretch at this point are, I mean, honestly, with the exception of Maryland, they vary from good to unbelievably good. And you're just not going to see a lot of running effectively, I don't think. I think the end goal is going to be like, we're going to be throwing most of the time and Evan Hall needs to be getting half of those throws. And that's kind of where we're going to be ending up. There was well, too- I I don't know about mm-hmm. half those throws. Mm-hmm.
2: I, I felt like there was way too much like checking down to him, and and this was a problem I saw Thursday night when I was watching the Bengals as well. Like 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 yes, leverage him as one of our best players. We also need to find ways to get Cam on the field, but we cannot forget about Malik Washington, who is just like like a straight up playmaker. And we cannot forget about Thomas Gordon. And we cannot forget about Marshall Lang. Like we have these other weapons. Well, that's We've true. seen too. them come into play. And it just, it just seems like we get, and whether it like, again, like this might be Holinski getting too, too focused on a receiver, getting too dialed in somewhere, like offensive coaching staff, you must coach him up during the game to address this. If it's a problem, if it's not Halinsky, and if it's, if it's the way that the, the game plan is or what his first read is or something like that has to change as well, but whatever it is, uh, there's got to be a different approach.
0: So here's, here's a question I have. Um, I, I saw a lot of people, you know, calling for a change of quarterback in, right around halftime. Is, is that going to be the answer? I mean, not against so, Penn State in the so, ring.
1: So before, so before we get to Halinsky, I just want to bring two things up because I, I want to talk about Halinsky at length. Um, I did just want to bring up two more like quick coaching things. A good thing and a bad thing. So, again, because I mean, like, we're highlighting a lot of in game stuff and everything. And, and the first I wanted to point out is the Jacob Gill play was 100% a coordinator play. That's something they saw upstairs. And that's something that generated our only touchdown of the game. So, I, I wanted to highlight that because it was a real positive. That was the booth realizing that Penn State had a corner who was asleep out there. And that play, if you go back and watch it, that is targeting a specific player. They just knew. They saw it. They had been watching it. They had been like, this guy's reading run all day. They're putting him in single man with no help, and we just have to send that guy. And you watch it, they're going to Gill all the way. And he just is cooked from the beginning. That was a great play. The other thing I wanted to bring up, though, because we talked about the theme of short circuiting, just drive short circuiting, and the way that coordinators have factored into that this year. The play that we ran, we were about at the 50, and it was a fourth and two. And we were considering going for it uh, on fourth and two. And we ran a play where effectively we were trying to get them to jump off sides by getting overzealous when we (laughs) switched formations in the middle of the play. And that's a good idea. And as it happened, the way the officials called it was really dumb, but it was absolutely a penalty flag that should have been thrown. And it was a classic case of not coaching the guys up the right way. We executed the shift. Halinski slaps his hands. And as fast as they can, like three different players go into the shift. Now, again, the goal there, right? It's just like like running a pick play, right? It's all about how you execute it and a certain line below which you're going to get away with it and a certain line above which you're not going to get away with it. And three guys bolting out of their sets when Halinski claps his hands to get into new positions, a quarter, a, a ref is throwing the flag on that every single time. I mean, and that
0: you, that's textbook simulating a snap, which ex- is the
1: definition of a false start. Exactly. And this was three different players sprinting, which means that's a failure of coaching right there. Because that means those guys were not coached up in the right way to be like, look, you will move when he slap, when he slaps his hands, but you cannot sprint or it's going to get whistled. And it's like, so that, and again, same thing happened against Nebraska. Yeah. And this theme of boy, we were moving the ball and then blank happened. Well, here's another mm-hmm. example of it. Right. So it's like those, those two things. But again, now we can, we can get into the Holinsky piece. Cause I think this is the, the last big thing to talk about in this one, I think.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, again, it's the wet, the, the weather was clearly a factor. Um, but, you know we, we've seen over the past few weeks Helensky's just been a little bit off and again, you know I, I'll, I'll ask, is a change of quarterback necessary? I don't think so.
1: No, I mean I don't to me helensky's a little bit of, of a unique animal compared to, to some of the, the guys we've had in the past and I think this game we talked about it before, but this game's nothing. He's got some decision making issues. This is a guy who can make the throws. Scuzz mentioned that throw to Malik on third and oh, long. So Unbe- good. Unbelievable throw. Don't sleep also on that a game I mean, I won't say game saving in a game we lost, but the back shoulder throw to Donnie Navarro that he threw out of his own end zone on a third and long down the left sideline, like, and the throw to Gil. Like the guy's capable of producing unbelievable throws and he's comfortable in the pocket. But he makes a lot of poor choices. And in this game, um, we had three turnovers in this game. Only one of them was caused by the weather. It was that horrible snap out of um, where, like, the center just lost the snap coming out. And that play was dead from, from the start. Um, but the other two, one, Halinsky made a really poor decision on that interception. He just threw a ball he never should have thrown that the wide receiver had no chance at. That was right to the safety. But the fumble where he got hit, it was just him sitting in the pocket way too long. Like, he didn't get great protection from right tackle, but it was okay. And honestly, like, this is a situation where I'm sure he was told, like, look, this defensive line's three times better than any defensive line you've seen to this (laughs) point. They're going to get to you, get the ball out. And it was just kind of watching it in slow motion, where it wasn't blind side. You're looking, being like, you gotta get get that ball out, get it out, get it out, get it out, and then he gets blown up, and the ball is down. And it's just like, those are some little things. And again, he's got a cannon for an arm. He's pretty accurate. He can make all the throws, but a mix of some of these poor decisions and the the scheme that, in a lot of ways, does not help him. This is why he's, I think, currently like the 11th ranked quarterback in terms of passer rating in the big 10 right now. And it's because of these little things. And again, this more than anything else on the offense is going to have to be the thing that gets fixed. Cause to discuss his point, tight ends, short throws, long throws, hitting Malik long, like finding the right ways to integrate Evan Hall. Like we're going to throw to win the rest of the season. Like that's the way that it's going to be. And it's going to take a lot of effort by everyone. And, and is going to be a huge piece of that.
2: Well, it's such a, it's such a difficult balance, right? Because like, that sack play you're describing, John, like the, mo- like the moment you take it, it, And I, am assuming that sack was early in the game, right?
1: It was pretty early. Like
2: yeah. first, like, yeah. So like, like the, like the moment you take a hit like that and you realize you held it too long. Well, then you're just like constantly trying to get the ball out super fast. Right. Which like, yes. I mean, so, some of that is like, yes. Uh, and some of that is human nature and like seeing, how quick he moved to his check downs, especially to hall who was often well covered. Cause after that Duke game, um, like, like Evan Hall has been the target of most defenses in, in pass coverage. They know that, that he's the safety valve. He's the, the, you know, I don't want to say the primary receiving threat, but a, an oft used receiving threat and teams have really limited his ability to, to run and, and, uh, make up yards after the catch. Right. So, Northwestern has to ad- adapt to that they have to adjust to that um there was a play I, and again this was I wa- again I want to say it was um so we, we got a we, we had the like a 24 yard pass to Malik uh on a third and third and eight down to the Penn State nine yard line and I want to say the next play this was on the 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 drive that ended on the one yard line I want to say the next play, yep, it was an incomplete pass to Evan Hall, first and goal. It was a a short little out. And Malik Washington was wide open going in the end zone. Now, I don't know the timing. I can't see the lanes from the pocket. I don't know if the pass was open, but that play was a microcosm of what I felt like I saw the entire second half of... Like, like the, like the, the balance is just off. It's either being held a little bit too long, Or we're checking down too quick. And John, to your point, like that, that's what they need to fix that. They need, they need to get that sorted so that. Alinsky's got the right time to view the field, the right time to attack. Like he's, he's got the arm. He has the accuracy. He's got good targets and he's got a a line that that's decent in pass pro. And so this is like, this is what like, if like, if you just switch to Brendan Sullivan, that That is not going to produce a no. better passing attack. What that would produce is a more of a running threat from the quarterback. There is an argument based on past northwestern seasons. maybe it is something that is something that you want to explore. Mm-hmm. I'm going to posit that against the Wisconsin and Nebraska defenses I'm sorry the Wisconsin and Iowa defenses that are like tailor-made to shut down any running things from happening that that's maybe not the best plan of attack um, you,
1: you just you just triggered my northwestern cynicism reflex and i'm like <laughs> northwestern would somehow address this by randomly bringing jack lausch in for certain singular plays oh, and the Lord. whole defense goes that guy's gonna run <laughs> jack, jack lausch in the wildcat. oh jeez uh, but it's but to, oh poor yeah. Andrew Marty yeah but to your so to your point too I mean you're you're right I think about the mobility piece um because on one hand you're like look a confident strong quarterback who does not get squirrely in the pocket solves a lot of problems but what you do end up with against good rushes and this happens against Penn State is I mean if we juxtapose against a guy where you know on a team that right now is looking like they might win eight games, Duke, like Riley Leonard, right? Like, that's a guy who always has that piece, right? Where in the breakdown, he's good in the pocket, but he knows when to go. And he's like, all right, time to go. This play is dead, I'm, I'm off, right? Holinsky this place does, is dead anyway. Yeah, this place is dead anyway. Halinsky doesn't have that option, right? Like, his option in that situation is throw it away or go for the hero ball and... He has that, like, I can get it in there. I got. I know I can get it in there. Defensive lineman's bearing down. I can make this throw, right? And sometimes that goes squirrely. And, you know, for all the talk about the weather in this game, he had a ball that went right through a defensive back's hands, both hands, because it was wet. And it's those are the kind of problems that we're dealing with right now. And, again... You're right. Like these are problems that are fixable. There's a lot of this stuff that been like, look, when in doubt, get it out. Like next week, Nick Herbigs living in the backfield for Wisconsin, look, if the play's dead, throw the ball away. Like just get we we'll live to fight another day. But but yeah, that's this is this is where we are. But no, yeah. Bringing in Brendan Sullivan and being like, "Hey, this is Wisconsin's defense." Like that's not the answer to this question. <laughs>
0: If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Sinson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients, no fee unless he wins. The Sinson Law Group Compassion, Empathy, and Vigorous Advocacy go to SinsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation and go cats. So, shall we uh look ahead to Wisconsin? Yeah, to Jim yeah. Leonard's, I'll, I'll, was, Jim Leonard's yeah. Wisconsin Badger. What a <laughs> fascinating uh turn of events. Yeah, huge news uh Sunday uh finding out Wisconsin has fired Paul Christ. Um yeah, I, I mean I know they had they've had a bit of a disappointing start, um, you know, losing at home to Washington state and Illinois, but Illinois is no joke this year. Um, Paul Chris is a really good coach. Uh, And they decided to pull the plug. I mean, the, the biggest thing I can think of is that they want Jim Leonard to be their next coach. And then they're giving him this giant runway to, you know, to basically audition for it. Cause like, Jim Leonard, who we have been saying for a while is should be a head coach somewhere in in college football, now is a head coach in college football and you know Wisconsin is going to give him every opportunity to win that job. I mean like so yes, but sure.
2: so Paul Crist won double digit games his first three years at Wisconsin 10 and three, 11 and three, thirteen and one in 2017, drops to eight and five in 2018 got back to 10 wins 10 and four in 19 and then four and three in the COVID year whatever nine and four and 21 two and three and 22 but i think the problem is that for the last three years everyone's been circling wisconsin and they have been i don't want to i don't know if they've been out of the division race early but they've been like they've been pretty soundly beaten in the division race. Um, I mean, six and three last year, I think, I think Iowa went seven and one. do I have that right? Um, so I, I think there's probably been a lot more noise at Wisconsin about Chris in particular. He's not a particularly fiery head <laughs> coach. There's, there's nope. this really no, funny, this is a really funny video that big 10 network made, um, having each of the coaches introduce themselves and, and, and say who would play them in a movie. Um, Hysterically it was released after the Scott Frost news. So Scott Frost was not in this video. I like I wish I could I could hear what his comment was, but like I like somebody said Tom Cruise, that might have been Harbaugh. I can't like you know, guys were having fun with it, right? But like making some crazy stuff. Paul Christ was the last one in the video and Paul Christ said just deadpan, no one would make a movie about me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like I like I I think he was a like yes, Sam, to your point. He was a good coach with a very strong track record, but the trajectory was was falling off from where Wisconsin had been like the dominant force in the West for the better part of the you know Big Ten Division era, and that seems to be changing. They they have not run the ball consistently, which is their bread and butter. It is the it is who they are. Um, we talked about some of the offensive line problems and, and like, gosh, there's, like...
1: That's it right there.
2: I want to say their stuff rate, if if I'm recalling some of the the preseason preview stuff, like, their stuff rate last year was, like, abysmal nationally. That's not Wisconsin football. How's that possible? So I I think it is more about Crist and less about Leonard himself, um, although these two things certainly dovetail together.
1: Right. I mean, ignoring... um... (laughs) the Northwestern piece of this and the, the parallels to problems we're having. If you look at Wisconsin and Iowa on the offensive side of the ball, two teams that have done the same thing, the same way for so long, and it's just stagnating right now. And that's the piece too, where on one hand, Sam's absolutely right. I mean, like, if you look over the past, like, three, four years, Wisconsin literally has the most eligible coordinator in the entire country. There's no hotter job candidate. And there was talk earlier in the season that, look, they'd already put the succession plan in place. So in this sense, they're just accelerating the timetable on that. So that's a hell of a chip to be able. I mean, that's a hell of a chip to be able to play. But in the larger sense, I mean, just so everybody knows, to this point, Wisconsin's ninth in the Big Ten in rushing right now. That is stunning for Wisconsin. And if you look at the Wisconsin defense, the easiest way to explain it is it's very good and at the same time, ninth in the conference right now because there are a ton of good defenses in this conference right now. But if you want a comparison, just look at the 2019 Northwestern defense. It is a really talented group that is just drowning under the offense right now. And... If you look, I mean, the Illinois game, classic situation. You have a situation earlier in this game where Graham Mertz just feeds one to Illinois in a brilliant Ryan Walters pressure package. Illinois starts at like the 20. They get down to the one. Jim Leonard stones them four times at the one yard line. And then Illinois gets bailed out on a BS pass interference play. And then they get in. If there's not a better metaphor for what Wisconsin's defense is dealing with this year, they're just buried under their offense. And it's I mean, again, you factor all this in and this point, this kind of downward trajectory. Like it's not too surprising that the Wisconsin fans demanded this and that they pulled the trigger on this.
2: They they also have a first year offensive coordinator. And this is this is this is tricky. Um Bobby Ingram, uh, well known wide receiver from the NFL for many years, played at Penn State, has been an NFL assistant coach um, most recently with the Baltimore Ravens, like wide receiver coach and then tight end coach. Like, by the way, the Ravens have had a pretty damn good offense, um, particularly the tight end, I'm thinking, uh, over the last few years um, with Lamar Jackson as QB before coming. And, and this is the first time he's calling plays as a uh, as an offensive coordinator. I'm sure that that factors into it a little bit as well. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see because, like, Wisconsin's problem's not defense. It's on the offensive side of the ball. I don't expect Jim Leonard to have the the tools or the pedigree of the experience to really change that. So, um this does seem like while well, while well, I think the move is probably more about like we gotta do something we like Chris has a problem. We can solve it at the end of the year or we can solve it now now and maybe have a chance to hang on to Jim Leonard, like like that that checks the boxes. Um but I don't expect like I don't expect some you know, halcyon days of Wisconsin offense performance on Saturday as a result of this change.
0: No, I mean like you you can't make a a coaching change in the middle of the season and then expect like something completely different to happen. I mean that's just Well Georgia not Tech reasonable. won. Yeah. So well yeah,
1: true. I mean, well, I mean Nebraska hell. Yeah. <laughs> Nebraska yeah. held, Nebraska yeah. held Indiana to sixty something so, rush yards. There are
2: times when your coach is like a real net drag on your team and then there are times where like you, like the writing's on the wall, but it's not going to, you know, move the needle.
1: Right. I So here's here's something that kind of came out. We mentioned this earlier, and you talk about our approach to Wisconsin, because there's kind of two pieces to this, right? On one hand, yeah, like Wisconsin's down. On one hand, these numbers are bad. On the other hand, their last two games are against Ohio State. And, and again, how many times is this going to suck to say, the number one defense in the country in the Illinois Fighting Illini? So that's their last two games, and it's been a rough road. When Wisconsin played their FCS opponent, they won 38-0. And when they played their crappy FBS opponent, they won 66-7. Wisconsin's capable of pile-driving teams on the ground. And again, there's that thing. We are still looking for the basement of this run defense based on what's going on 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 our offensive line. Wisconsin can absolutely do it. Now, the way we're going to handle this situation is They'll go two tight ends and we'll go Grayson Metz and Rod Hurd at safety. They'll go three wide receivers, one tight end. We will go Grayson Metz, Rod Hurd at safety. They'll go four wide. We'll go screw you, Grayson Metz, Rod Hurd at safety. We are going to dare Graham Mertz to throw the ball and beat us. This is just the approach that Northwestern's built for. That defensive unit is so much better than the next best defensive unit or combination Northwestern can put on the field. We all know the Graham Mertz experience. This is part of the road that led to Paul Crisp being fired. He's been better this season. He's had a horrible overall career. He's currently, I think, sitting as but the
0: But he, he went 21 of 22 against Illinois.
1: That's true. He, he'll Not, yeah, not yeah. this weekend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not this weekend, yeah. And 17 that's
2: of 32 with two picks.
1: Yeah, no, he was horrific against Illinois. Illinois also put him on the ground five times, right? Yeah, they got so, a really good D. And, and we probably are not going to do that, but... I think we know Wisconsin's bread is just not buttered at wide receiver and Graham Mertz is not a world beater at quarterback. And to a larger point, again, this team played two bad run defenses earlier in the year and won 104 to seven over two combined games. So it's like, don't expect that they're not going to eat on the ground against us. We need that back seven to tackle the way they did in this game. And we need some breaks and we need Graham Mertz to be the Graham Mertz we know and love.
2: I like, I, I get what you're saying with the FCS and the New Mexico state comps. I think the real comp here is Washington state. So Washington's a
1: weird game.
2: Yeah. Well, it was a weird game. Washington state got some breaks. Um, you know they held Wisconsin only 14 points Wisconsin I think fumbled the ball a couple times but same time like Wisconsin did not run the ball super well 4 yards per carry uh got a mertz pick um so like like there's there, there's a path here uh you know Washington State has not covered themselves in glory since this game they got you know they, they did beat Cal this past week and got smoked by Oregon um no, actually well, they put up 41 points getting smoked by Oregon, but like they still gave up 41 points. So you don't you don't have to be like right, you know. You you don't have to be the 85 Bears to shut down this Badger team. Like tackle well, bring the physicality, like there's 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 a path here. Northwestern's definitely I mean like I I think about that year when um I forget the name of the QB now, uh but he threw three picks to Godwin. Um like we're we're going to need some breaks to beat Wisconsin, but it's possible.
1: Oh, I mean, everyone loves to crawl inside our own heads and talk about Northwestern history, right? That's been a theme for the past couple of of weeks. Over the past twenty five years, we've beaten ten Wisconsin teams that are better than this team. That's just the way that it is. Yep. Northwestern and Wisconsin split. That's just what happens. And the this season, is... the
2: series is even going back thirty years.
1: Right. And this is not a great Wisconsin team that just changes. I mean, I'm not saying, again, they're nine and a half point favorites right now. But, ten now. Or ten. Ten, ten, yeah. point, ten point favorites. But the Washington State's a great example. Wisconsin's defense was great in that game. Their offense was kind of bleh, and they lost. And that's exactly the kind of game we're looking for. Uh, they,
2: they also beat us 35-7 to seven last year with, like, virtually the same personnel. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: that's I know. true. Yep so now that was at home
2: so like but um again like tackle well bring the physicality and we got to figure our shit out on offense but yep yep it's this is this is not the I think you know I think the thing we all agreed about coming out of Penn State like we were texting each other like immediately found alignment around like well that could have been a lot worse but hey we have a lot more optimism about next week
0: yeah Right. And it, it's homecoming too. So, you know, a, a lot of people are coming in from out of town, including um, Scuzz, me, including Scuzz. So, you know, definitely come by our tailgate in the east parking lot right by the right by Wildcat Alley. C- celebrity
2: um, tailgate guest Chris Giannini from uh, many, many outfits, uh, including Winnie Cures Any, Everything. One of our, when our, our good buddy is flying up from Memphis, he will be at the tailgate. He is a, um, He's just, a, he's just <laughs> he's
0: like just one of the greatest fun. people. He's super <laughs> yeah. fun.
2: He's so great. Um, and an encyclopedic uh, knowledge of football, like just
1: awesome. Yeah. It's Scuzz and I's 20 year reunion. So, um, and you know, we're, we're signing up for all kinds of events. And by signing up for all kinds of events, we mean the East lot under the red pirate flag. That's where we're gonna be. Um, so if anyone who else is in that class, you want to come visit us? Come by. But yeah, it's we've we've heard from a couple other people that might be dropping by too, and I think we're expecting to have an absolutely great time.
0: It's gonna be a lot of fun. Um, interestingly, uh, the East Lot may not be there much longer, as we uh, yeah as as we found out. Um, just a little bit of behind the scenes here. Uh, inside baseball the reason our podcast was a day late last week was we were we were tipped off that there might be some sort of announcement about the new stadium uh coming out and we were waiting to see if we could either confirm it or it you know find out a little bit more and we we couldn't and then on wednesday uh classic big announcement <laughs> like, right after we pushed go on the pod um and the announcement comes out, uh, they finally released plans for the new Ryan Field. And, oh, my God, it looks incredible.
2: It It also looks like it holds 60,000 uh, rendered people, which, as we know, is not reality. <laughs> sure, sure. It yeah. does. 60,000
0: 60, 60, rendered people equals about 35,000 real
2: people. Yeah. But it, like, I, this hits so many notes for for. Not just me for all for us as we've been talking about this for a couple of years. We've you know, we've heard some stuff, uh, we heard some stuff during the season last year. We heard that there was a you know, the committee that was kind of exploring options, they were they were they were they were pretty set on reducing the capacity of the stadium, something
0: I think we all believe
2: very strongly in because it's gonna well, improve. And let's
0: talk about that because that that is one of the biggest things to, I I've saw people complaining about is why are you reducing uh, capacity
1: and I oh think it's God. it's simple. I'm like it's, that was literally know, like top of my list. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, like like
0: Northwestern knows what our fan base is. Like at at best we have about 30-35,000 people who could who would come to a game. Everything at everything after that is going to be is opposing team fans. Well, so,
2: and 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 at least a sixth of that is opposing fans,
1: right? right. And it's like you want what you want, exactly like Sam said, you don't want to be pie in the sky about these hidden tens of thousands of Northwestern fans to come. You want to take everyone who might come and you want to provide them with the best possible experience so that they do come while at the same time capping the amount of crazies from other teams that can come in. And this does all of that. I think too, between you, Scus, who I know you lived in Dallas for a while. Um, and then um, Kevin Trahan, who you know, notable Northwestern uh, alum, um, who lives down—I think he may live in Austin or in yep, Central Texas—talk, you know, talking about that w- one of the big templates for this stadium was Austin FC's stadium, brand new soccer stadium down there. It's just an absolute world-class facility. In a lot of ways, this stadium is a bigger version of that with the overhang. Um, which of course is so nice in bad weather, but just looks beautiful. Um, And we'll we'll
0: amplify the sound in the stadium. And Mm -hmm. what was interesting is, you know, looking at the, all of pretty much everything that came out uh, from the team and, you know, from the, from the department was basically a pitch to Evanston. Like, Hey, let's get this done. You know, they're talking about how they're like, it's going to reduce light pollution and sound to the surrounding areas outside of the stadium. So like the the neighborhoods are, are would be less affected. Well and in, in with
2: reduced I mean with what, twelve thousand reduced capacity that's going mm-hmm. to um you know make make game day some game days uh, a little less chaotic. It's still thirty five thousand people coming, you know coming up to Evanston, a, a town that is does you know does not have the infrastructure of a Columbus or an Ann Arbor uh, to support that. But I think like the The beauty here is f- for ever, like whether it's the overhang, the better sound, the aesthetics, um, all the talk is you know a concourse and, and a fan experience that's more on par with with what you know the New Welsh Ryan Arena, which has been wonderful from that from that perspective. Um, I, like there was a great schematic that showed the size of Northwestern Stadium and how like the like, the seats farthest from the field are still going to be something like. closer to the field than the farthest seats seats in Notre Dame stadium. Like, like not to pick on Notre Dame, but just as like, as a point of comparison, like there will literally be no bad seat in the house. And the whole point, the point of all of this, the point of all of this is the fan experience. Mm -hmm. And, and I can tell you as someone who works in the retail industry today, customer experience is what matters right now. Um, especially for a, I'll call it a luxury good, like, like a college football game. Um, when you create the right experience that, that, that fans will enjoy, that is what is going to make them make the trek from the city or to carve out their time on, on a Saturday to come up to Evanston. It's the experience and with reduced capacity, less traffic, easier parking, Better amenities, less opposing fans. By the way, that's the sort of stuff that will have a circular positive effect on the fan experience and get people coming back. The the idea of hey, you know, you might not have gone to Northwestern, but like come up here for for you know as as to be your second team um, doesn't work for driving the fan experience that has a halo effect to other fans. And this is the thing that's going to make it more enjoyable, more exciting, more desirable to go to Northwestern games. That's what's going to create the demand. That's what's going to create the in the in-game experience. We crave of a loud, fired up, partisan Northwestern purple clad. Fandom, that is what is going to get. The players fired up to to play here, to be a part of this program like that. Like when you hear players from from other schools talk about the fan experience or what it's like running down the tunnel, those like that's that's what that is what we all want to strive for. And everything that they've every decision they've made regarding this, the stadium design that we've seen to date is in service of that. And it's fantastic.
1: And they've got a, a track record here. Right. I mean, the Welsh Ryan renovation it's, and it's the lakefront facility are awesome. Yeah. They totally hey. hit their targets with those. They so, hey,
2: reduced capacity at Welsh Ryan. Right. Nobody's complained I, about yeah, that.
1: It's glorious. It's wonderful. What a great facility. If this is even if this is like that and and from the mock-ups it looks like it's going to be at least as good as that. The timetable is is long. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, <laughs> buckle up folks. Yeah. It's I think we correct me if I'm wrong right but it's well Sammy what is it? What's the timetable? So table?
0: you know from what I've seen um you know they'll play next the 2023 season will be at the current Ryan field demolition starts after the 2023 season then 2024 and 2025 will be elsewhere um early guesses is you know probably Summit Soldier Field and Summit Wrigley Field would be my best guess considering that those are the two closest uh facilities that can reasonably host uh college football I think uh White Sox park could probably do it too, but I don't really see that on the radar. I don't see them uh, trying to go out to Bridgeport, uh, the fire stadium. That would be a massive hike from ev- anyone from Evanston uh, to go to a game down there. I, I don't see that happening, but you know, it, nothing is n- nothing is set in stone, but uh, basically two years, you know, as, as traveling nomads uh, before starting the 2026 season in the new Orion field
1: i think to me the wrigley piece is a huge piece of this um i think if it was all at soldier that would start to become a problem i think because there's gonna be a bunch of games that would not we're not going to come close to filling that capacity which creates that weird thing and and real talking this is part of why the whole arlington heights thing's getting better like soldier ain't the easiest place to get in and out of and that so there's that piece of it too um I think, so, uh, you know, I think if we end up with a nice mix of Soldier and then Wrigley when baseball season's done, like, that'll make it fairly palatable, and again, it's not a perfect situation, but, you know, we'll, uh, three three years from now, if we're suddenly at the place where this unbelievable facility is about to open up, it'll be worthwhile.
2: I've, I've, I think I've said this out loud a couple times, um, just because it, like, I think it's probably because Fitz's kid plays there, and... They've got a pretty big, I don't know, pretty decent sized program. But I've been, I've wondered if there could be a burgeoning relationship with Loyola Academy. Um, but I'm looking at their stadium, and there is no, yeah, no, no. no seating, it's, no seating.
1: It's a classic situation where it's as big as you think the biggest high school stadiums are. This ain't Texas, and this, uh, this <laughs> is,
2: this is, this is smaller than, than. The high school stadium I went to this past Friday with my kids to watch um, our, our home high school team get obliterated. I I think it was 42 to seven at halftime um, by a neighboring public school. Like uh, this is, this is small. This is very small by football standards, not in Texas.
1: Yeah. No, it's the, the, the choices are limited and it's like, thank God you have Wrigley to help shoulder that load. Cause otherwise the choices would be incredibly limited, but at the end of the day, yeah, it's the, the mock-ups are great. And if that's the stadium we get, I mean, what more could we ask for?
0: Yeah. Still a lot left to, left to be decided. Um, as far as getting agreement and buy-in from uh, Evanston city council and, uh, and the Evanston townies, but um, you know, it sounds like the Ryan family is footing the bill and, you know, the donations from, you know, the Wildcat fund, uh, you know, this, they're, they're saying will be 100% privately paid for, which for an $800 million stadium is a huge, huge deal. I mean, to go in and say there is zero tax burden on the local community is a huge selling point.
1: Yeah, and hopefully, I mean, knock wood that hopefully everything that needs to get ironed out between Northwestern and Evanston and everything, that that will help and that, uh, the, yeah, that the, the ground can get laid for this as as soon as possible. I mean, again, obviously, I think it sounds like we're playing a, a whole other se- another season at Ryan Field. But, you know, hopefully that season is starting to wind to a close. We are seeing large conglomerations of construction equipment gathering around the premises to to break ground on this thing as soon as they can.
0: I, I wonder how much further on in discussions they are. Like, would they have an, like, there's a reason we haven't heard anything about this. Right. So now from when they announced it, like over a year ago, Um, I, I wonder how much is like behind the scenes being put into place. Like they wouldn't have announced. I don't think they announced this unless it's pretty much a go.
2: Right. I don't know. There, there was a. There's an element in the press release around like, and and of course they should do this regardless. Um, talking about all the all the benefits to yeah. to Evanston, um, and you, you still this, you
0: still have to sell the sell, you know sell the populace on yeah, it. Yeah,
2: yeah. Certainly, like you know some of the sustainability goals of the of the project, et cetera. But like, there was, and this is maybe just my cynical brain, um, kind of reacting to you know this like. Hey, hey, we're having a rough season, but look at, you know, look what's coming a little bit of shiny object, uh, distraction here. But at the same time, like my cynical brain is looking, reading through this press release thinking like, God, man, they're trying to put some pressure on Evanston to to get behind it. And like, and like, like, of, of course they should. Like, this is how stuff gets done in like civic, um, private discussions. So like, like, I, like I, I'm throwing no shade. Um, but it is hard to know how far we are along and, and, how much of the, the buffer, you know, from a time perspective is based on, you know, expected negotiations or if that's just the reality of what it is. So,
1: I mean, it is very shiny. I was looking at it. <laughs> I was looking at I, I mean, look, Scott, there's nothing wrong with just, you know, you printing it out, huddling uh, in your bed and just staring at yeah. that. If that's yeah. what gets you through God, well,
2: oh, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll say it was an intentional choice by the three of us that, uh, we talked about the Penn state game, the Wisconsin game, <laughs> yeah. and then the stadium, because yeah. we didn't want to be like, you know, right. uh, supporting that cynical narrative.
1: Right.
0: <laughs> um, so just, you know, quickly running through, uh, the rest of this weekend's games, uh, you got Nebraska Rutgers on Friday. Michigan- <laughs> yeah. Um, Although guys a real three point favorite uh, but, on the road. But, but, real quick to this
1: point I bet you Wisconsin I bet you Nebraska rolls them don't yeah, be I, like that it happens
2: I I said this last week I don't think Nebraska's a terrible team and then they went out and they beat Indiana by two touchdowns like they they and we know that Indiana's like a real kind of you know trick or treat kind of team right now but like Nebraska is not as horrible as everyone has made them out to be in the the vestigial appendage of the Scott Frost era that was the start of this season. Uh,
0: Michigan at Indiana, uh, Michigan a 22-point road favorite. You got Purdue at Maryland, uh, Maryland a three-point home favorite.
2: That's going to be an interesting game. That's a really um,
1: good game. Yeah.
2: Purdue is like Purdue beat Minnesota last week in a in a result that I think shocked the hell out of all of us. Now, yeah. M- Mo Mo, Ibrahim uh, did not play in that game for Minnesota, um, which certainly explains some of the Gophers' struggles on offense. But um, Purdue's D is looking way more legit than we thought it would be. I and, know. Shocking. Uh, I like I'm stunned. So, I mean like this, this is another great, you know, going up, they haven't gone up against an, an, an exceptional QB yet. So this will be a very interesting test.
0: Uh, you've got Ohio state at Michigan state, um, Ohio state at 25
1: and a half point. Remember back when we thought that was going to be a good game. (laughs) Yeah. I, 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 I,
2: I, I was, I was reflecting on my preseason previews and, and I, I really got Michigan state wrong. They have, they have failed to integrate, um, the the transfers that they used to try and bolster their team again this year um the offense is a train wreck i thought peyton thorn was a really strong qb coming back and he's struggled like i they're you know Jalen naylor graduated i think i think all their big wide, wide receivers graduated they just have like really struggled to figure out what the hell to do kenneth walker too
0: yeah and uh iowa at illinois uh, oh illinois, boy a three and a half point favorite the over under 35 and a half
1: let's hold a hold a few 35 and a half if this game hits 35 and a half over that's a flipping miracle (laughs) oh my god um I I mean the, the single thing I'd be looking at most in that game is can Chase Brown get yards against that Iowa defense if he can that's ball game Illinois might roll Iowa if he can't and Iowa's D is legit really good he might not be able to then then hide your kids from this one
2: I mean, Michigan ran for 172 yards against them last week. Yeah. I realize that's Michigan, but... Um, yeah.
1: Iowa just might not be a good football team. Like, they're... Yeah.
2: Yeah. Interestingly, Peters didn't have a terrible game last week. Um, that's that's generally been their problem, but,
1: like... I watched we, a couple you, horrific throws from him. <laughs> no,
2: well, and that. their offensive line, particularly their tackles, are just so lightweight. Oh, it's yeah. just freaking weird like I I was gonna do this thing where, I, where then I just don't have the time uh, to do this sort of thing but I wanted to go back and look at um like Iowa game day press releases from like five or six years ago or even three or four years ago when they had you know tackles that are now in the NFL um and I like I can tell you anecdotally that like you go look up some of the some of the guys that were playing tackle for Iowa um, three four five years ago they're all listed at like 320 325
1: Tristan, Tristan Worst's chest is as big as most of those guys <laughs> on that line right now.
2: the current Iowa tackles are weighing in at like 305 and 308 they're giving up 20 pounds to their predecessors and if you think that doesn't matter go watch the Michigan defensive line ragdoll these dudes over and over again Yep. yeah like it's so weird
0: uh nationally uh i i think the best game could be tcu at kansas two undefeated big 12 teams yes Day-day is there crazy how like kansas
2: lance leopold i just i i, I gotta shut out so sammy and i freaking went to kansas Oh,
0: How many years ago? That was
2: 2004. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Sam, I'm pretty sure you flew to Chicago from Vegas and we jumped in the car and drove down to Lawrence, um, had a great time. I'm pretty sure it rained. Oh, I know Northwestern. It was
0: absolutely boring.
2: Northwestern won. um, give the Kansas fans some credit. They stayed and sang rock chalk Jayhawk in the, in the rain. um, we had a nice time and I'm just I'm so freaking excited that KU football is it's, on the map and they're getting game day.
1: I'm honestly like they've <laughs> been great. I'm so happy for this. I'm so happy they've got game day. Their schedule's so ridiculously backloaded that they have like they still have TCU, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas, Adrian Martinez led Kansas State. That so,
2: that's going to be a problem. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, hey, if they if they get a split over the last heck if they go four and three down the stretch that's a hell of a season for Kansas I mean they've the the start that they've staked themselves to already is is fantastic
0: and you know TCU uh, first year with Sonny Dykes you know taking down Oklahoma last week not just taking him out but like with a destroying them
1: suddenly Oklahoma is everyone's punching bag yeah Yeah. that was uh, a nightmare yeah Brent Venables hasn't exactly brought the culture quite yet
0: not yet um Utah, Utah UCLA should be a fun one. Should uh, it? I don't know.
2: Does Utah... UCLA caught garbage? No. Oh
0: wow! They're, they're five they're and zero. Five and zero. How did I miss that? I mean, they're on the west coast, and you know, you're on yeah. the east coast, and there's an east coast bias. So there you go.
2: I do have east coast
1: bias. Now. <laughs> <laughs> The one game that I want to randomly highlight, and this goes back to something where like after the Duke-Kansas game, Scuzz was very much like, Duke looks good. And I was like, eh, I'm not ready to buy in yet. Well, right now, Duke's what, 4-1. and one. Their schedule starting with Georgia Tech this weekend is so flipping easy. If you look at their schedule, now this is not to say they're going to win all these games, but, like, Georgia Tech, B.C., Virginia Tech, Miami, these are all bad football teams. And Duke's been pretty good so far. And right now, their path to at least eight wins is looking pretty good. So keep an eye on that because, like, there really aren't a lot of players in that side of the ACC. And right now, Duke's looking like they can rack up about as much as many wins as as anybody. So keep an eye on it.
0: Uh, anything else to mention before we get out of here tonight, guys? Just come hang out come hang um, out we're absolutely. gonna be there
1: early early and fun and we're gonna have a it's gonna be a good crowd and
2: we'll pro- we'll, we'll probably be hanging out afterwards as well for a little bit like mm-hmm. it's yeah it's gonna be um all three i like we, we we've said it before like this this season ain't for the wins anymore this season is for is for the uh camaraderie it's for the hang the camaraderie the hanging the out hang, yeah the tailgating like
1: all three all three pirates with the chris giannini bonus like i'm telling you what more could you ask for it you'll you'll have a great time come on by
2: our buddy jack's been shouting out uh uh daniel's bratwurst on uh on, from the tailgate on twitter um are there, something da-
0: else they are so good yeah, yeah D- daniel's been making this recipe for god 15 years now i don't know um good stuff. Swing by. So uh, with, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at westlawpirates, and email the show westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us in the west side of Ryan Field, flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scouse, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.